Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, feelers, Elvis fans, and anyone else who might be tuning in to listen to our conversation on the latest musical biopic to come out. I'm Patch, and with me as always is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Well, that's about as good as it's going to get. Hello. I was wondering which of us was going to do our Elvis impression or that was Elvis. not that is that is the that is my that and this <laughs> pinky thing I'm doing right here in front of you the camera for you only. This, this is my Elvis yeah. impression. This is as much as you're going to get. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. You nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> well, if you haven't guessed, uh, we're going to be talking about our spoiler filled thoughts on Baz Luhrmann's interpretation. Am I pronouncing his name right? I can never remember. Is it Baz? I'll just say. Batman. I say Baz Luhrmann, so I have n- I have no idea. Yeah, you may see me just. You may hear me just say Baz a lot, just because I feel like it's easier, not because we're on a first name basis. So take that for what it is. But yeah, we're going to be talking about his interpretation of the life of the king of rock and roll. So with that out of the way, let's rock this party, which was never said in the movie, but I couldn't find a way to segue a line. You know, Elvis has entered the building. No, whatever. <laughs> I like that actually a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not going back. <laughs> Let's just keep moving. Just keep moving forward. All right. And we, we have covered a handful of biopics on the show, both musical and otherwise. And I don't know if we've had these conversations during the show or offline, but I know that we've talked a lot about biopics, what they involve. Are they good? Are they bad? And of course, that's just a good, healthy conversation that we could have at any given point. But we're not going to do that because that's not really the point of this episode. We're going to talk about Elvis. But I wanted to ask going into this, what is it that you are in general looking for in these types of movies? And specifically, did Elvis do it for you? I might have a bit of a long winded answer here. So bear with me. I'm going to kind of go on a couple different directions. Well, no, I mean, you're welcome to chime in and, you know, ask me why I'm crazy. (laughs) So here's the thing. I will first, I'm going to answer what you asked me, which is what is I'm, what, what is it that I'm looking for when I go into a movie about a musical artist? So backstory here, I'm not a huge music fan. I, I like music. I love music. I listen to music. I have my favorite bands. I have my freaking playlists and I get to them occasionally. I listen to film scores and all these things. So it's I don't want people to like misinterpret that as Aaron despises music for some reason, right? I am like anyone, I have listened to plenty of music in my life and I love but there's like another level of person who tends to be more obsessive or even just more of a fan of a lot of different specific artists and have followed artists in a way that I just don't. So I'm not into music in the way that I have deep knowledge of history of different artists, personally or even professionally speaking. I just like the music that I like. So there's my disclaimer about where I am coming into things for music biopics in general. So what I'm looking for, Patrick, is I tend to want to learn the accurate historical story behind a musical artist because those are the things that I don't know. And so I love 
being able to find out what Freddie Mercury was like. And to me, whatever I'm seeing in the movie is Freddie Mercury because I don't know because I don't care. All I know is I like the songs Queen made, right? That's like the differentiation for me. Going into this movie, luckily, (laughs) I read a quote from Baz, our buddy, before I saw it. And it helped to set my expectations. And so because of that, I was going into this film with different expectations. I want to read that quote because I think it's very, very important to this entire conversation that we're having or we're going to have about biopics in this movie. So when Baz was asked about this film at Cannes where it premiered, he said, and I quote, this is not really a biopic. It's really for me about America in the 50s and 60s and 70s. If you want to talk about America in the 50s and 60s and 70s at the center of culture for the good, the bad, and the ugly was Elvis. Shakespeare would explore culture through kings. So why not focus on the king himself, Elvis Presley? If it feels a bit like a superhero film, it is, because actually Elvis is kind of like the original superhero. Now, that should frame everything that you think about when you are talking about this film or what you when you see it. And I really do think that that helped me, Patrick, because I, I know a lot of people are going to go into this movie who may have a deep knowledge of Elvis, and they're going to probably find some c- conflict with the way things are depicted or the things that are not shown. And I only know about these things because I've done some Googling after the fact. But that is not the typical approach of a biopic, right? And it also kind of makes the film make more sense to me in the way that it was put together. I'm not saying I necessarily like it or don't like it yet, but the way in which the film uses like the character of Colonel Parker makes more sense when you read Baz's quote and you understand that he is trying to tell the story of a time period and not simply a man. That man is just a touch point within the bigger frame work of this story that he's trying to tell. Now, if you're asking me if I like that or not, I, well, I won't, you didn't ask me that yet. I, so I'll say this, accuracy only matters if the director is going for accuracy. (laughs) And what I mean by that is if the movie puts itself forward as being a historical artifact, then accuracy is absolutely important, Patrick. If a director puts forth his movie as a vibrant fever dream and exploration of culture centered around a musical artist that he considers to be a superhero, then no, accuracy doesn't matter because that's not what he's going for. Baz is about spectacle, and this is what he gave us was spectacle. And so in this case, I think it's fine. But I think if you are intending to tell the accurate story of something and and then you are beholden to making sure you get it right. I'll stand down for a bit now. <laughs> Very sound answer, sir. And I will see your quote and raise you another oh. in response to that. Let me read this. This work, 
like any other, is a beginning, not an end. An invitation to inquiry, not an attempt at foreclosure upon it. This is my story of Elvis Presley. It cannot be the story of Elvis Presley. There is no such thing. Even autobiography, or perhaps autobiography most of all, represents an editing of the facts, a selection of detail, an attempt to make sense of the various arbitrary developments of real life. In the end, there should be nothing shocking about human existence, because in the end, whatever has occurred is simply human. If I have, if I have succeeded in my aim, I have given you the tools to create your own portrait of a young Elvis Presley, the opportunity to reinvent and reinterpret within the broad context of a particular time and place, the life of a remarkable American original. Sounds like Baz, right? Yes. It's not. It's not from Baz. It's actually from a book called Last Train to Memphis by a guy mm. named Peter Gurlnick. Girl <laughs> I'm going to butcher his name. This guy is considered the definitive biography, biographist, biographer of Elvis Presley. <laughs> he has a two volume. Sorry, yeah, I'll get there eventually. He wrote a two volume series on Elvis's life. This particular book, the one that I've just started, this is from his introduction, covers like the first 20 years. And then the second book obviously covers the last 20 years. But I think he makes a really interesting point here because he, as a biographer, is very humble about what he's doing. He understands that there is a reason why he's writing about Elvis. There is a fascination. There is an interest in this person. And while historical facts are going to be the driving force of it, he's going to put his stamp of creativity on it. In fact, earlier on in the introduction, he refers to these people as characters in a story because he understands that a biography is simply that. It's a story that is fueled by facts, not all facts, not every fact. So when you take that into the theatrical realm with any, and we can say biopic in general, whether it's musical or not, facts will be omitted, facts will be reinterpreted, events will be reinterpreted <laughs> as we're not going to get into all the what was true and what wasn't. That would take way too long, but there are websites out there already that do that. And by the way, they use this book as a source to compare. So are you telling that me that they didn't actually make a deal on top of a stopped Ferris wheel <laughs> at a carnival? <laughs> That's not how it went down? Fiction, sir. Fiction. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. One star. Yeah. Complete, completely ruins it for you, doesn't it, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, I, but I think this brings up an interesting point that the motive going into movies is to be entertained. I mean, that's the core of what we talk about on our show. So why should it be any different with a biopic? Well, it's because we know the person actually existed. Had this person not been called Elvis Presley, had this person been an archetype of Elvis, this mysterious rock and roller that came from the South that grew up loving and being around black people, this white guy, and loving rhythm and blues and gospel and creating this new rock and roll era. Well, all you could say is, yeah, that's Elvis. That's Elvis. But we'd be more forgiving about all the events that took place. It would become really allegorical at that point. But the fact is, it happened. There are major events that happened in Elvis's life that are depicted on screen, and the method by which they're depicted, I think, needs to have a lot more grace attached to it because of the nature or because of the vehicle in which the story is being told. 
Should I expect more facts in a biography? Absolutely, I should, because I'm not looking at reading this thing in two and a half hours. This thing is 400 pages. The first volume is 400 pages, Aaron. So this guy is going to be thorough. He's going to talk a lot about Elvis's life more than we see. I'm pretty sure he's going to get into the, the pills, the broken relationship with Priscilla, things that we could probably argue were sort of glossed over or sanitized. I think that's the new word that we're using. And the fact is, that's true. But what Baz is doing is he's paying tribute, as you said, to an era, and he's using Elvis as the vehicle to tell that story. And at the same time, as an audience, even if I didn't hear that quote, which I didn't going into it, I left the theater going, wow, what I saw was a guy that I never experienced the impact he had. So if you'd shown me a Beatles biopic, if you can give me that kind of feeling of what it was like to have Beatlemania, of seeing girls just completely go nuts for these mop tops, <laughs> like I only knew based off of black and white footage and stories my dad would tell me. And the same thing for Elvis. I mean, Elvis Presley did amazing things that I only hear about in stories, in you know, TV, uh, TV shows and black and white interviews and stuff like that. The magic of a biopic is it attempts to, and I think in this case, successfully captures who Elvis was and the impact he had on rock and roll. To think that this guy with his gyrations that by today's standards would be tame was like putting girls in like comas and making them freak out and having <laughs> unsettling thoughts or, 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 uh, I forget how it was worded, but un impure thoughts. I think that that's part of the magic of Baz's storytelling is it's completely spectacle, but it's not without its levels of fact because these things happen. So being able to interpret them in a way that allow for entertainment to be the forefront, not just education or not even education. What did it do? I left the theater and what did I do the next day? I checked out the ebook of that first volume because I want to know. I want to know not so I can fact check Baz, but I want to see between the lines. I want to know. The fact is I'm reading, I'm in the first like three chapters. You know what was true? Elvis absolutely adored his mother. That was accurately depicted. Yep. But there are chapters that go on and on about his relationship with her that are not depicted in the film. It doesn't make them untrue, but it captures that. So I think... To me, a successful biopic for me is one that like pushes me to want to know more about the artist or more about the individual. So when I watch the, uh, the not the biopic, but the documentary or even the biopic on Mr. Rogers, I'm compelled to read The Good Neighbor that it's based on. When I see something like Pirates of Silicon Valley or Jobs, I'm compelled to read the biography on Steve Jobs to find out more. And it doesn't diminish the experience I had of watching this movie because I put that in a completely different category of entertainment beyond information. I think information is sort of the icing on the cake. Would I feel cheated if everything that I saw in that movie was fake? Probably, because I don't feel like that's doing a service to the character that you're portraying, which I think is when we get into things like Eddie the Eagle, when a lot of stuff is made up, <laughs> you're right. really sort of going, all right, that was fun, entertainment, the main point is that he made it to the Olympics and he was terrible. <laughs> but let's let's have fun with the journey. This is something different. And the events that take place, particularly with Parker, with Colonel Parker, 
I think, make it just as compelling because that was a significant part of his career that was sort of blown up after the fact. Like all the stuff that came out, we got to experience the trauma with Elvis in this movie that we only found out about after he died. So I think that in and of itself makes this movie for me so compelling as a biopic because of all those factors. And on top of all that, I loved it. I thought it was really a great movie. I know it's two and a half hours long, but this is one of those that I think if you love it, you don't th- you don't even look at your watch, and I didn't. I thought this was oh, really so good. Oh, so you're ready def- for that four-hour cut that Baz has? Not sure about that. If I do, it's over a two-night <laughs> period. <laughs> but but the fact is, it had me hooked. It had me really engrossed in the in the story. I never felt like anything was uh, was really wasted. But that's again, that's my perspective, and I know that other people have different ones. So uh, from there, yeah, that's for me. I think that's a successful biopic, and this one does it for me. That's awesome. I mean, and I'm very glad. I mean, I'm not. I didn't hate the movie by any stretch of the imagination as well. It's interesting though. And when you talk about length specifically, my experience with it was kind of unique for me in my relationship to seeing other movies. I don't know if other people, I'm not saying other people haven't had this experience that I did, but it felt to me like I never was completely put off by the link. If that makes sense. So I wasn't constantly checking my watch, which I've done before in movies. The movie's pacing, the energy of the movie kept it going along to where the link wasn't necessarily noticeable. But at the same time, I felt exhausted by it by the end to the point where I was like, can we get to the end? Even though as it was going, I wasn't feeling like it was too long. I know that almost sounds like a contradiction, but it was just, it's because of the freneticness and the absolute crazy energy of the style that he made the film in, that it it never stops. (laughs) And so that was kind of my experience with the length of it, where I wasn't, I didn't come out of it going, oh my God, that was three hours long. But at the same time, I was like, wow, that was three hours long. I don't know. That's It was a weird feeling that I had. No, it makes sense. And I think it's as if you're coming down from, well, okay, I'll tell you about this. I mean, my feeling from, I get the same feeling from a Michael Bay movie. Michael Bay movies are not two and a half hours long, but they're so high energy that I'm ready to take a breath. And I think in the same way, while not the same style, you get that same kind of energy exhaustion that you're just kind of ready to land that plane. I felt that way about closer to the end than I thought because I was trying to think in my head, okay, when did Elvis die? Okay, what year is it? All right, we we must be getting close. And the scene with him and Priscilla in the limo where he talks about his life not meaning anything, he's almost 40, I wasn't sure if we were going to get like, part four of, of Elvis's life, like the late, the late Vegas years. I didn't think we would based off of what we were seeing. And sure enough, probably two or three minutes later, we get the, essentially the epilogue with him and his 1977 the fat Elvis concert. years. What's that? The, the fat, fat Elvis, Elvis years. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The fat Elvis years. And I'll say this, I was definitely on the in the camp of, hey, let's make fun of Fat Elvis because I didn't respect him when I was in my, when I really found out about who he was. 
probably before I visited Graceland, <laughs> I was like, all I knew about Elvis was that, oh, he's that guy that wrote Hound Dog. And he's also that guy that dresses in that white sequin jumpsuit, that really fat dude, right? This movie changed my mind. And and I had some kind of respect for Elvis as I've grown up. I mean, I try to think that I'm a more mature person than I was 20 years right. ago, maybe. Well, it's because the movie lets you have semblance of empathy for him. Like, now you understand why he's fat. <laughs> and you're right. like, oh, my bad. I don't want to make fun of you <laughs> because that was a rough road <laughs> you took. And it, it ain't the Twinkies, man. It's something yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. And uh and, and so you when you when you take somebody like like Baz's style, it really does make a lot of sense because the energy that Elvis brought to the stage, the energy that he brought to his singing, I mean that that was something that I thought was really, really cool was the last thing you see is Elvis not in his prime, with a guy holding a microphone in front of him, singing and he had an amazing voice to up to, you know, this is two weeks before he passed away. He knew how to sing. Like he, he was a, he was a singer and he was a performer and we'll get to that. But at, at its core, he knew how to sing and that singing and the dancing, it all kind of came down to his ability to capture an audience. And so I like that we didn't end on, a completely glossy ending. It was a happy ending for sure, even though it was a, you know, it was tragic. But he was left in a good light. But I think it's because of the fact that his ability to sing at its core is what captured people. Uh, my wife was telling me we were talking after the movie. She was kind of taken aback by the scene early on where he, as a kid, goes to that revival tent and gets quote taken up by the spirit, and she said. I don't know if he had that, if he was anointed. These are, these are her words. I don't know if he was anointed, but I remember my mom telling me that when he sang those gospel tunes, something would come over her. And it wasn't like gyration. I mean, he just knew the way he interpreted those songs did something to the people that listened to them. And I, I don't know, I can't understand that because I wasn't around in the fifties. I didn't, I don't, again, I only know it from from Baz and from all these other kinds of sources. But if I had to pick any director to tell this story, Baz would be the one. I mean, this is the guy that brought us Romeo and Juliet, you know, leaving Verona and going to South Beach, Miami or wherever it was. And then <laughs> taking us over to Moulin Rouge, which is not one of my favorites. Although I can absolutely respect how he is able to take popular music and put it in a musical fashion. I mean, that's phenomenal. But I think that, this was good. Like from the way in which we show time and place transitions so that we know where we're at, the the visual cues that he uses, the way in which he incorporates music here and there. We'll talk a lot a little bit about that. But overall, the the tone never, you know, it, it was a tone of energy that never slowed down. But when it did, you could take that breath. But to your point, I was in that same place of like, all right, let's let's put the car in park and let's just sit here for a little while. And then a day later I'm going, okay, I'm ready to go for another ride. I'm ready to get back on the roller coaster, experience it again. I will probably not go back to the theater. I don't have time for that. That's a lot of time, two and a half hours, <laughs> but I definitely want to watch it again in its theatrical form. I don't know about this four hour craziness, but maybe I would. <laughs> so from that, I, I think that, that Baz is probably the best person for this. 
and he did. I mean, this was a superhero first and foremost. I I think that if you didn't love Elvis, you probably could grow to love him after this, after watching this, because it it really did capture what he did for his audience, and and we we see this. One thing I wanted to talk about was in most musical biopics, our friend Patrick Willems lays this out really well in one of his his video essays about the formula for the musical biopic where you have said musician the movie starts out at a big event and then it rolls back to childhood and then you have parents that don't really agree with what they're doing and then they find their big break and then they get big and then they start doing drugs or becoming alcoholics and then they have a downfall and then they find redemption could you say that that was probably all that happened in a, in a musician's life? Yes. But I like the way that even if those were story beats in this movie, which they clearly were, the way they were told felt very refreshing. I loved the, what I would call the three-act structure, the three pivots of Elvis's life, because they really showed components of Elvis Presley that are usually just mashed up. And again, I go back to my example, saying Hound Dog, white sequin jumpsuit, got fat. <laughs> that's just, that's not, that's not a great interpretation, even though those are facts. Those are, I mean, again, this is, this is where the magic of a biopic is. Uh, those are facts that could be said, but they are completely without context. And I, I, I really, really like the way that the, the three acts sort of fused together, but how they were really distinct from each other. Did you did you like that approach that Bass took? Well, first of all, when coming to to style, I I am a big fan of the Baz style trilogy of Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, and The Great Gatsby, with The Great Gatsby being an all-time favorite movie for me. I watch it at least once a year, if not more. I often will find myself watching it on New Year's Eve. I just find it to be kind of perfect for that. Not, I'm not one of those people that like times the New Year's Eve scene with the actual ringing in of the New Year, but I love, love that film. I love his frenetic pacing and energy and just complete embellishment of everything, and I love the way that he takes film score and mixes it with pop music and hip-hop, and he does that in this movie, too. Like It's not just Elvis's music that we're not... Normally, in a biopic, usually it's going to be a greatest hits of whatever the artist is singing all of their greatest hits. But this is a lot more of a remixed kind of situation, which is what Baz does. I appreciated that because it kind of modernized Elvis for me in a way that I don't really love Elvis's music. I don't dislike it by any means. You know, some of the songs are obviously notable to me because they've been famous for so long but they're not songs i would just necessarily sit around and listen to but he does something with them in his style that makes it more entertaining for me in a modern context so i love that and i frankly would have been probably a lot less into this from a story standpoint because of the way it's told if it was not for the style so so this was a style hooked me movie. That's the part that I enjoyed. That's the part that I was there for. I kept myself attentive because I was plugged into the bombastic spectacle of it all. And I like that he does that. And I and agree with you that 
Elvis as a character and the way Baz approached him as a superhero is a perfect icon to do something like this with. Michael Jackson would probably be another one that could probably, uh, you know, you could appreciate this level of type of storytelling with style, right? But Baz would probably be okay with that too because he is really good at using infusing hip hop and stuff into his as well. Anyway, with regards to the structure, it was fine. I, I can't tell you what we didn't get until I started reading articles because I didn't know what I was missing. That there were weird things about it to me, like not knowing that the house that they were in for the entire movie was even Graceland until the very end. And there's like a throwaway line about we lost Graceland. And I was like, Oh, was that the house? Was that, that the, that's the house you've been living in? But they never mentioned that like Graceland is an iconic thing all of its own. Right? Like it's a cultural thing. Like I, I just expected that to kind of be maybe mentioned more and, or set out. And that's the thing. Baz is moving so fast and it's so, it doesn't stop to, to kind of, tell you those normal typical typical beats and i i appreciate it for being different but i also kind of wanted some of it it's a weird mix there i think that it works though like you have kind of laid out here where it's early elvis hollywood elvis and vegas elvis to me i didn't know the story so i didn't understand hollywood elvis by the way is completely glossed over and and it's a little bit of a shame because it's like, oh, Elvis made some movies, but he didn't get to be in A Star is Born. Okay, next. Like, it's like two-minute scene that they say what I just said, and that is it. It's it. Doesn't even go into it all. I was like, a little. And then they bring in this weird Sharon Tate subplot. Like, I don't know. I know why they did it because they were using it for the colonel to inflict fear in him, essentially, which was also weird because he, the colonel says something to the effect of, it's dangerous out there. You shouldn't travel because Sharon Tate got murdered, but she got murdered in LA, like in California right. where you're right. wanting him to stay. <laughs> like I, yeah. it was, I don't know. There's some weirdness things about it anyway, but like Vegas Elvis, I didn't know the history of that, Patrick. I didn't understand any of the stuff about the tours. And well, first of all, I didn't know the Colonel character existed. That's a big part of my experience with this movie is like, I did not know that this person was alive much less not a, a composite manager. character Aaron. this is not much a composite yeah i know <laughs> i know like that's the thing like so that informed like that whole vegas part like i had no earthly idea why elvis was a big thing in vegas i got to learn that i didn't know about the international tours not happening didn't know he met priscilla when he i knew he was in the army but didn't know he met priscilla while he was in the army so there were parts of it that actually served as kind of a traditional biopic for me and I, and i liked the structure this to me just goes straight forward through his life and i honestly kind of prefer that more than the the uh, i didn't feel it was quite to that formula that patrick lays out because it it doesn't start at the end and it right. doesn't like it's not the same as everything else. That's what I appreciated about this movie. Yes. It's not yes. the same. It's mm -hmm. unique. And I will always find elevated praise for a movie that is ambitious and swings big. Even if I personally don't love it as much because it swung big. Yeah. So if you put Bohemian Rhapsody next to walk the line next to Ray, same formula. And he points that out. I agree with you. Absolutely. That those story beats are hit in this movie, but they're done in a deliberately different way. Not to be different, 
but to make a point. Because what I didn't know before watching this movie was that there were those three distinct sections of his life. And they, in the movie, depicts them as having a significant swing. So you have Elvis getting big on the radio, gyrations, that part of his life that I knew, oh my gosh, he got in so much trouble because he danced the way he did, was shut down and he had to go into the army. He was in the army for two years, met Priscilla. And then that started up the the Hollywood life, which by the way, I talked to my dad, Elvis hated those movies, absolutely hated them. And that was sort of hinted at in this little montage of all those movies. Yeah. He did he did 20 movies in 10 or 30 movies in 10 years. 30 movies. And they're not good movies. So I mean, take what you will. But you don't know that he wanted to be an actor. And come to find out the the whole thing with A Star is Born, you know, he saw that as an opportunity, but there was a financial issue going on with that. And then you had the 1972, I think it was 72 comeback special that for me was probably one of the best moments of the movie because it was almost like a like a midpoint of like okay he's starting to go vegas now he's starting to kind of grow into this i won't call it family entertainment but more catering to an adult crowd like folks that knew him in the 50s but now they're they're moving him into the you know 60 60 i think it's 68 i can't remember specifically but to your point, and I think this is an, a challenge for any biopic, specifically musical biopics, is when the director wants to cover so much stuff. And the fact is, there's enough about Elvis's life that you could just focus on one thing. You could focus on that comeback special and everything leading up to it. You don't have to talk about him becoming big from Beale Street. You don't have to talk about him going into the army. You don't talk, have to talk about what you talk about is... He's coming out of the army and he wants to be a Hollywood movie star. And you spend an hour and a half on that of the two hours leading up to that moment. That would be a really, really great movie. I think transitioning to the Vegas years would be a really great movie. I think focusing on his early life before he goes into you know, letting the movie end with him going into the army. This could easily be a three-part feature where you're really going heavily into those components because the fact is we go see musical biopics because we want to know as much about the artist as possible. And the things that we're familiar with, we want to see, oh, is that depicted on screen? So when we go see Freddie Mercury and it starts out with him at Live Aid, we're like, dude, are we going to see Live Aid? This is going to be amazing. And we do eventually. And it's a phenomenal scene, but it's not the thing. When in actuality, we could probably lead up to that moment. We could probably start him off in a moment where he's heavily into drugs and he's embraced his you know, whatever. And he is just kind of coming back from that. The point doesn't have to be a redemption story. It could be a focus on this amazing event that was Live Aid that he completely captured his audience. And I think that Elvis has enough in his life, Graceland being an example of that. You know, leading up to that, there's a relationship with his parents. I mean, there was interesting things about Vernon getting thrown in jail for writing a hot check. Wow. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> his meeting B.B. King, the, Little Richard. I mean, all those things that happened were just 
in and of themselves, this could be an entire series of the life of Elvis done in such an incredible way. So I think the challenge, and maybe to its diminishment, is that you're truncating all that into two and a half hours that you end up glossing over the things that we know about, his broken relationship with Priscilla and his drug problem. I mean, those things were big, but they were glossed over for the purpose that we mentioned earlier. But I also think that those things could be achievable if given a longer format and to, to play those things out specifically. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes me wonder, knowing that this was a four-hour movie, at, at a minimum, it was a four hours worth of content was filmed and in place. That is a lot of cutting, Patrick. That is a lot of editing down your story. And so it, we don't always think about movies like this, right? We're like, oh, well, this is the vision. It's right there. It's on screen. That's what they came up with. But you start to imagine like all of the pieces that are missing or the detail that's missing in the little bits that we got. I bet you that a ton of that is in the four. I mean, four out. That's another hour and a half of hour and 20 minutes of content. Like that's a lot of cut stuff. And I wonder what I'm curious. I would watch it honestly, just because I would like to compare and know what was left out because the things that bothered me the most are that, or the thing, maybe one of the things I should say, I don't know if I have a bunch, so I should just stick with one and go from there. The one thing that I know bothered me is that knowing Baz called this an examination of the culture of this time period, he kind of sanitizes Elvis's relationship with the black music industry. And he is not wrong that there was a relationship between Elvis and B.B. King that was positive. I looked that up because I wanted to know what was going on here. But there are plenty of black artists that resented Elvis's fame and his ability to take their music and make it mainstream and become the king of rock and roll when they were the ones that he stole it from, essentially. And I, I hate using the word steal, but that was his inspiration, right? Was that what part of his inspiration it's a mixture you know there's the gospel side but there's there's this definite inspiration that comes from the style of music that was unacceptable to many white people because it was being made by black artists but when elvis makes it it's sexy and rebellious and becomes something that launches him into superstardom and so there's there is I don't need this movie to it's this is all about spectacle. So like we were talking about, you can't just stop in the middle of it and give a true examination of that part of his life and what it meant to the music industry as a whole, as it relates to race relations. But I would have liked if the movie is saying that it wants to comment on that a little bit more honesty mm -hmm. when it deals with that. And I, and I would, I, I, I kind of, I want to fault it because it's not there. But I also am willing to bet that there's more nuance in that four-hour cut regarding this specific issue that is one that I think was an important part that they should have gotten a little bit more right, personally. Yeah, I think the approach of the movie was always about the result of and blank, you know. So the result of, I would call it collaboration, whatever you want to call it, the result of Elvis gaining access to that music what's the result of that well he became a big celebrity 
and that music got more accessible to a wide audience that wouldn't have listened to it otherwise. That's what the story is telling. Same thing later on is everything is about the result. So when you talk about the comeback special, that was not called the comeback special. It became that because of the fact that things were changed. One thing that you find out he came is back <laughs> afterwards. He did came, yeah, he, it, because he'd been out of come yeah. back before you come back. Well, yeah, but the whole point of that TV special got changed because he really wanted to focus on music, that being get back to his roots. So to come in in a black leather jacket, it felt almost like it was like an Elvis tuxedo, like the way you would wear a tuxedo. It didn't feel like he was, I mean, he was sleek, he looked good in it. And he did some gyration, but he wasn't so flamboyant in that particular sequence as he was back several years before in his jailhouse rock days, which the result of that was due to a bad Hollywood experience. And to your point, Aaron, we could have gotten a lot more explanation instead of giving us like movie, 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 and blow, you know, bomb, 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 bomb. Yes. I want to see more of that. I want to know more about that. And hopefully this biography is going to go into that kind of detail. But Baz wanted us to have results. He wanted us I to I would like to know. To so would you please be sure and share with me, by the way, when you learned these things? Because that is something that is inter- <laughs> that specific thing is interesting to me. So just remember that. Okay. And tell me. Uh, the other part of this, though, is the Colonel Parker character. And I want to talk about this because, I mean, every thing about this movie and the the reason that I don't love this movie is that it is not framed through the lens of Elvis it is through the lens of this Colonel Parker character that Tom Hanks plays and he's narrating he's talking about himself right off the bat it almost becomes a Faustian type of play in a sense where he's the devil that Elvis made a deal with that leads to his death, which is not wrong by any means. It's it's reality kind of, but just, I don't know that I loved going through two and a half hours of Colonel Tom Parker being, is it Tom? Is his name Tom? Or did I just say that because it's Tom Hanks, Colonel Parker, being the main focal point. Like we would get into Elvis, man, and we would start rolling and then we'd stop so we could bring Parker into the story somehow. And I was like, go away, get get out, go, you're, go away. You're in the background, you're a manager. I don't care what you think. I don't care about your like minuscule little dealings with people here and there. You know, I care about the big things, you know, him literally telling Elvis, no, don't go overseas or whatever. Those are some, there's some big moments that I understand them being in here, but man, it's almost like they needed a movie star to sell it because, so I feel like you, you got Austin Butler who was the least known by far of the primary candidates to be Elvis. We had people like, I want to, why am I saying Sheila Booth? I think he might've been, but Ansel Elgort was in this group for sure. Miles Teller was in this group. So some much bigger names. First of all, phenomenal casting. My one sentence review after this film was simply Austin Butler, take a bow. I think it is a phenomenal performance. I think if Remy Malek can win an Oscar for a musical biopic, then Austin Butler has already won five. Like he should just get five now, right off the bat, no ceremony. It's that much better to me. 
than what we saw in that performance. Not that Rami was bad, but I think this is a whole other level of like perfection to me. So they and got Austin it right. Sings, Austin sings too, right? Doesn't he? Does he? He sings I, I, young Elvis's songs. He does not sing anything of old Elvis. And I was reading about this. Okay. The reason okay. is because they said it is so important to people that you get Elvis's voice correct that he couldn't have done it. No one could. None of the millions of Elvis impersonators could. They can do it to, you know, it could be a fine impersonation, but it would, they wanted it to be Elvis. So everything from the older side, once he's past being a child coming up, a young kid is not him, but he does sing in the early stages. Okay. But my point being is like Austin Butler is not selling your movie. Austin Butler as Elvis, and that's it, is not selling your movie, I think, to executives. So I wonder if, I wonder how much of it was Baz's true vision and how much that got influenced by Hollywood or, or the, or just him knowing that maybe I need to put somebody in this movie that is going to sell it and be a name. And what can I do? Now, I like the way Tom Hanks chews scenery. I love that he is now a candidate, incredibly weird candidate for like villain of the year for my Seattle Film Critics Society Awards. But it's weird. It's a weird performance. It's a weird role. And it is very weird to me that everything is framed around him. And I kind of don't like that because it takes the focus off of Elvis too often and puts it on who is Colonel Parker? Why is Colonel Parker broke? Oh, Colonel Parker has gambling. I don't give a crap that Colonel Parker has. Well, I don't. I mean, you could tell me it in one sentence. I don't need to see it like three times during the movie that he has gambling debts and all. You know what I'm saying? Usually those are like yeah. background notes. And so for me, man, it just is the part of the movie that kept it from being great. Okay. Well, I, I would. I'm going to respectfully disagree because I think that who Tom Parker was in actuality was personified because of the fact like there there's a little irony not irony but there's a little bit of like what's the word the fact is your complaint about tom parker sort of stealing the show occasionally is exactly what tom parker did to elvis and that's this is where the magic of leaving the movie theater with my wife really kind of shined we both walked out and I was like, can you believe that he took 50% of Elvis's earnings? Do you, I mean, he put him as a slave. And Christian was like, yeah. I mean, this is, this is probably what happens to a lot of musicians, a lot of artists. Is they, get, they become slaves to their managers, or slaves to the industry. Now, she has no idea, neither do I. But because we were left with that, there was a part of me that was like, is this a Tom Parker biopic or is this an Elvis biopic? After I settled that, and after I see this unreliable narrator, by the way, because he's a snowman, like we got snowed. You know, we're thinking at no point did I feel like he was a good guy, but I'm watching him interact with Elvis and I'm seeing how this kid, this innocent kid who just wants to sing is sort of taken hold of the glitz and the glamour and the ability to give his, his, his mom a house and a Cadillac. I mean, that whole scene that doesn't exist when they're making a deal on the Ferris wheel, they make a joke about, you know, five Cadillacs, 10 Cadillacs, 100 Cadillacs. The character of Tom Parker, and when I say character, I mean the, the depiction of Tom Parker in here, I think captures 
the evil that we didn't know about as an audience because we were so enamored with Elvis. That's all we saw was Elvis, Elvis, Elvis. So if you told this story with Tom Parker as a side character or as, oh yeah, he's my manager and eventually he's going to do this and do that. I don't think it would be as nearly impactful to be sympathetic towards Elvis because Elvis was a superstar. Like nothing could go wrong, which is again, why we get to, why did you get so fat Elvis? You had everything. The reason why is because he was a workhorse. Like he was run into the ground. He was bankrupt and he was given this gigantic invoice that was not $7 million. It was closer to like two or three, but still Parker had a hold on him that he could not escape. And the ability of Tom Parker to be able to manipulate him in that way is so bizarre because in today's market, you're thinking, no way I'm going to let this big fat dude take control of me. But what did Elvis know? He, He came from the South, lived in a shack until he was like 15 when his dad was able to get a quote real job and move them into a lush two bedroom apartment. And so you got to think what I think the movie does so well is it pits these two characters against each other where you have this guy, this Faustian character who is going to stop at nothing to get what he wants and he will never stop. There's a line in there. I think it's after Parker gives him that long invoice. He said, you took everything from me. It says that. And you still want more. Like this is a guy who does not know when enough is enough. And there's an obsession there. Now I will say this, the mystery behind him is distracting. Okay. Is he a nowhere man? Does he have citizenship anywhere? He's that's compelling. And it's a little too compelling. It's like, either don't tell me at all or give me everything, but don't hint at it left and right. So if you'd given me this character that had some kind of citizenship that didn't have this mystery behind him and just kept him as this this hard-throwing manipulator snowman guy, I would have been fine with that. But the truth is, that's who he was. I mean, he was from nowhere. He had no citizenship. And it was because of that that you know he was able to sort of move around so mysteriously. And so I think the fact that we're told this story from a narrator who is not Elvis himself or even from like Priscilla or somebody else, I think this speaks to the fact that Elvis was not a guy who had a lot of friends. Like he had his family and that was it. Very isolated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think this kind of amplifies that. Common for music gods like that. Yeah. For sure. So I think when you add to that, this interesting character of of Colonel Parker, that can become distracting. But for me, I felt like it was effective because it allowed us to really see through the lens of someone else that wasn't Elvis. Like we weren't experiencing Elvis from his eyes. We were seeing it from pockets of people who didn't really know him. The closest person to him besides his mom was Parker. You know, he wasn't really close with his dad. So I think it was appropriate. I think it was really effective. I can see your point though. And I think that there's something interesting about Tom Parker almost to a fault because of the fact that you have these two interesting guys that one has a mysterious past and now he's latched on to this, this other guy who's becoming a, a nationwide sensation. I won't say a worldwide sensation since he never got to go overseas. But, but yeah, I, it worked for me in a way that was very different than just having Elvis go through this 
transition because Parker was at the center of those transition pieces. He was the one that told Parker, mm-hmm. go into the military. He was the one that told Parker, when you get out, let's do movies. He was the one that, I'm sorry, not Elvis, not Pete until Parker. We all know Parker. what you yeah. meant. It's okay. Yeah. But the the movie depicts him as being a linchpin that's for thing. Elvis to make those decisions. Yeah, I just think they added too much to that. Like, for example, he didn't tell Elvis to go into the military. Elvis was drafted. Elvis didn't have a choice. Elvis went in the military because the law said, you're going in the military. There was no conversation with Colonel Parker that said, you should do this, and this is what you can get out of it. It was, here's a piece of paper. <laughs> you either go in the military or you go to jail. Like, there was no, I think he's amplified a bit there, maybe more than he needs to be. But I, I do see your point. I am curious, what did you think of the performance? Because for me, this was the other part is like, it's, dude, it was just so weird. I don't know how to describe it. It's I've seen people call it gold member esque and I've seen him described as like a little bit of like Mr. Krabs, which I thought was hilarious and had never thought of until I heard. And now I can, I can see it now. Uh, he's just, it's, it's a, such a over the top kind of mm-hmm. not almost it's, it is. That's where I said Faustian because it's like, it's not human. It's not natural type of behavior and, even of the weird vocalizations, he, he almost is like a supernatural force. And sure. So I'm, I'm mixed. Cause I, 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 when I view it through that lens intellectually, I'm like that, I dig that. But when I watch it, I'm kind of like, Hmm, that doesn't always work for me. But did yeah, you like I think it? if you make him, I think if you make him animated, I think that adds to a little bit more believability, but I think because we're getting a Baz movie, he makes perfect sense in something like this is this kind of overwatching, you know, overarching villain that has a weird accent at one, at, at no point did I feel like I was laughing at him. Like, Oh my gosh, this is just farcical. I don't, I never felt that way. I felt like he was consistent with the sensationalism of what we were seeing on screen. So he was appropriately sensationalized for the m- movie that we got like on par with Elvis. So I, I was good with them. I, I like Tom Hanks' performance, and it was very different. I was sad to see him in a villainous role, but hey, you know, you got to eat, right? You got to pay the bills. <laughs> you can't be yes. forced scum forever. Well, this is also the film that he got COVID on, which is interesting. He was like one of the first people to get it, right? And it was on the set when this had started filming. So I also wonder if that had any impact on his weird accent, you know, with it, whether his breathing was affected or yeah, there's all kinds yeah. of things that could have potentially left led to that. I'm left wondering how obsessed was Colonel Parker with Christmas and Christmas music and Santa Claus is coming to town because well, because none of that's real. Like that's all fake for the movie though. Like that's not right. the actual special. That was sensationalized stuff too. So probably it was, not. but yeah, and he and he signed off on what we actually saw. But there was a caveat that he wanted a Christmas song at the end of it. I mean, so that was all that was all true there. But yeah, he was definitely he definitely wanted to wear the sweater and or wanted Elvis to wear the sweater in which he wore the sweater he as was, well. Which he was very upset about that sweater. Yeah. <laughs> he was like <laughs> Also, perfect actress for Priscilla Presley, by the way. Like I am mm-hmm. so smitten with this actress. Olivia De Jong is her name. I didn't know who she was until this movie, but I was like Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, there was a there was a lot of great casting in this. Um I 
there's a there's a picture from the biography that I'm reading showing Elvis as a I guess he's like six five or six years old and his mom and dad are in the picture and that picture looks like what we see her looking like like she was very she was cast really well anyway the uh last thing I want to talk about is just the the numbers the the songs was there anything that stood out to you specifically that you fell in love with or that you that you liked a lot well I think like most people, there's probably three or four standout big numbers and they're all great because they're Baz. This is where everything is awesome because it's Baz, frankly. But the initial song that he sings for the Colonel on the stage or whatever, I don't know. There's that other country guy, Wayne, somebody, or I don't remember. But the one where we get to see the audience reacting to him and the the way it's shot is so good dude so good like you said it gives it conveys the emotion and it conveys the context of the importance of elvis and what he changed which is you watch these actresses and you know as their facial expressions are so just minimally changing to illustrate that sexual desire that they're feeling and those uncontrollable feelings and, and the ones that they don't understand. And then, you know, you see the first ever bra thrown up there on the stage and, and you see, I think it's great from Elvis too, from Austin Butler, because he is showing you a young man who has no idea how to handle what is going on. He has no clue why they're reacting to this. It's, it's almost innocent. Like this is just him moving because it's, it's natural. This is how he gets into his music, right? He doesn't, he's not trying to turn them on. And it's, you know, we get into that in the story where he's kind of learning that that's what is happening here. He has to be told that. And yeah, he can't just, record. I, yeah. He's, that scene yeah, he was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, the scene where, which is not real, but I don't give a crap the, at Mississippi where he goes up and like rebelliously wiggles his little finger. I don't care. That was like, such a boss move and I, I it's just I don't care that it's not real because it is awesome and I love love that so much and the way that Baz mixes again music in that scene he's got hip-hop pop film score and Elvis tracks like it's all it's just it's music to my ears literally like I, I was so locked in and interested in those in that moment in that concert as brief as it was the other one would probably be his Vegas debut. I think the first show was devoid of any drama. And so it was all positive spectacle and just, I've never seen even an Elvis impersonator live. So I have no earthly idea what that would be like. I've never been to Vegas to a show. So watching him, it was the most concert we got out of him as far as like a traditional structure of a concert. And so yeah. I just thought that was tremendously well shot and, and awesome. Well, and I think what we have in those three components of early Elvis middle, the Hollywood Elvis, and then Vegas Elvis is that we see, obviously he's a performer all throughout, but we see particularly in that Vegas section. And this is one of my favorites is how he actually arranges like how he's able to bring okay i want you guys to start out doing this all right cool all right 
and he brings in the bass and then he brings in the trumpets and they get dun, 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 dun. and we see how much energy he has and of course that leads into what comes to be known as his as his Vegas show by the way before i get called out it's the 68 comeback special 1968 if i was skirting around that year uh, that's officially what it was called but the but the comeback special itself is probably my favorite because of the fact that it's tightly shot it's a number of different songs songs that i had not known about when we get into the all right let's cue the whorehouse sequence and i'm like what 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 there's a oh oh and here come the martial artists the ninjas or the the kung fu guys which you had mentioned to me offline i didn't know this that he was huge into martial arts or in, into karate and he would incorporate it apparently he would incorporate it into into his numbers and that makes a buttload of sense that he would do a lot of kicks during his Vegas shows. But I think those two sections, the those two numbers, I guess, the the comeback special, and then maybe the montage of him in those four or five years in Vegas, seeing all the different sequin jumpsuits, how he had this this act down pat, seeing him sweat and be so exhausted after every show. I mean, that's not to say that, you know, the pills were were causing that, but I mean he performed. He absolutely performed, and he was gung-ho every night based off of that depiction. It seemed like he never phoned it in when it came to those shows. And there were a lot of shows. I mean, you think a year's worth of performances, he's probably given, what, five, six shows a day? Multiply that by you know 300 days a year? That's a lot, dude. I mean, that's that's too many. That's probably 300 too many for me. <laughs> like, And Agreed. The, his, his ability to do that year after year after year I think says a lot, not only about his dedication, but also about the fact that he loves, he loved doing what he was doing. And Parker mentions that when we talk about like what killed Elvis or who killed Elvis. And he says it was his love for the show. Like he was borderline addicted to it. And Baz kind of alludes to that when he's walking through the audience and he's kissing these girls, which I think there was some actual footage later on in the, in the movie near the end where it shows actual footage of him doing that and you know the third one for me is the last performance of him sitting at at the piano just singing and seeing the audience the actual audience just enamored with him i thought that was that was really great so yeah it's it's good stuff man good stuff all right well that will do it for us on this edition of feeling film hope you guys have enjoyed our conversation i know i have uh next week we are staying home to enjoy cha-cha real smooth this is one that aaron has said pat you're gonna love this and so i'm looking forward to two loving thumbs it. up two thumbs up well maybe it'll be four by the end of this week i'm hoping it will be so look for that coming around the fourth of july weekend in the meantime enjoy your week aaron thanks for another great conversation we'll talk soon hey everyone thanks again for listening if you enjoy the show we'd love to hear from you you can leave us a review on itunes or wherever you're listening these help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. 
We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.